0: Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx Magazine. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials Our production of Onyx Publications All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2023 All rights reserved On today's show, we have Poetry Selections Written by Susanna DeBaca And narrated by J.W. McAteer. Settle in and enjoy You lost your words. When you were first diagnosed with dementia, your first reaction was denial, of course, because that is normal. I am just forgetting some things, you said. But as time went on, you forgot more. I just lost my keys, you said. But you lost your words, lost numbers, lost your balance. And when you left the burner on and the mail went unopened and you crashed your car, you hid the confusion because even in your fog you knew that accepting the reality of losing yourself would hasten your departure. White Water When you were first diagnosed, we were all so shocked. Stage four, you told us, but you smiled brightly and vowed to live every day of your life, whatever that meant and the ideas flowed out of you like a raging river, as if your creative force was white water and you were launching yourself towards a dam, trying to release all the words, all the visions from your mind, as if you were racing against dusk, spewing sentences and images onto paper, leaving a mark behind. And when you died, your daughter asked for the magazines with the stories you wrote so she could hold them in her hands and read them in the light one more time. Anyone could see. When you were first diagnosed, we thought you had time, as if a sundial controlled your life. I feel fine, you said, but anyone could see that the shadow had been cast. But still, we thought you had time. We looked, left and right tried to pretend the sun was slowing, somehow altered on its axis. When we asked you how you were feeling, you said, I feel fine. But anyone could see that you were decaying. Anyone could see that we could not buy time, that we could not delay the darkness. Time to put your affairs in order. When we learned of your diagnosis, we said, That is impossible. You are too young to die. But the doctor had taken one look at your test and advised you that it was time to put your affairs in order. How can this be happening? We said, How can a parent bury a child, we said. Was it the stress, we asked. But none of those were the right questions. There was no solace in knowing why. The real question was how we would go on living, how you could be gone, and the world would keep moving without you as if nothing had ever happened, how the sun would rise again after all had fallen into shadow, as if being told to put your affairs in order was a comfort to anyone.
1: You've just listened to a selection of poems by Susanna DeBaca. Welcome to the post-story portion of the podcast. I'm your co-host, Melissa Collings, joined, per usual, by the benevolent J.W.
0: McAteer. <laughs> You're cracking me up with these. <laughs> Hello. my favorite.
1: <laughs> okay. Today we have Susanna on the show. It's here to talk about her poetry, the ones that you just heard, and her life as a writer, and so much more. Welcome, Susanna.
2: Well, thank you. It's nice to be on your show.
0: great to have you
1: yes we're excited that you're here Susanna is an award-winning CEO of a media and communications company but is also a writer artist and works in several different formats she is passionate about exploring change transformation and life in the heartland so let's find out more who is Susanna DeBaca
2: well, it's wonderful to be here and I can tell you just a, a little bit. Um, I as you mentioned, I do a lot of different things. My yes. my day job is running a publishing company. Uh, which has a business journal and city and regional magazine. So I get a little business and culture. Um, but I am absolutely uh in love with poetry and fiction and so I spend a lot of the rest of my time reading other kinds of of work uh as well as as doing art Uh, and i live in the midwest i was born in a tiny town called huxley iowa i left and lived all over the country and then i came back to my hometown of huxley iowa population four thousand two hundred that is tiny i love it -hmm.
1: well this is fantastic we're going to find out a little bit more about you as we go on and your varied past which is very exciting but let's talk about these poems and I don't know about you guys but I love going through them one by one so if we could just start at the beginning you lost your words and talk about well if you have anything to say about the po- poetry collection in general you know kind of the background of why you felt compelled to write these if you felt compelled to write them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and subject matter and then we can kind of go a little bit by a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I I wrote these at different times. They Each one has, has to do with loss. Uh, yes. Loss and grief of different types, and they're all about different people. Um, but I put them together in a collection and submitted them to you two days after my best friend was diagnosed with inoperable cancer, and mm. loss was very much on my mind.
1: That gives me chills.
2: Yes, and so it also was just it was very meaningful to have them accepted. Oh, uh, great. I f- felt it was really co- an honor. So thank you. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm.
0: We're glad that they're powerful. And, um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a theme here.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate that we go through loss and grief in life, but I think everybody has that common experience. And yes. I think poetry gives us a vehicle to explore that and to express uh, our loss and our grief in very different ways than more formal uh, means. So I think it's a gift to us that we have at our, at our, um, uh, essentially at our, at our exposure. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. A way of digesting almost.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And exploring different dimensions of those feelings. Well,
1: talk about this first one a little bit. You lost your words.
2: This poem and a number of other poems I've written is about uh, my uh, beloved aunt experiencing dementia. And uh, it's ironic um, that the first thing that really started going was her words because she was an English professor Hmm. and a a women's studies professor who was a big influence on my writing. But she had a series of strokes and her words started going and we could see her her disappearing through her language disappearing. And so I've written a number of poems specifically um, uh, called a a grouping of poems called the Dementia Diaries, exploring her journey, but also exploring my journey, uh, caregiving for her. And, um, we, I flew her from, um, Texas to where I live so that I could care for her and, um, watch these things kind of happen one by one. Um, and she of course was in terrible denial of what was happening to her because how hard would that be to accept?
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dementia has got to be one of the worst, uh, things to go through as a individual
1: yeah, I mm-hmm. think the most powerful line for me in this is or two lines that accepting the reality but of losing yourself. I just think those three words of losing yourself. It's scary and it, it's a mountain right there at the end of your um, of your poem and it's it's true and um that's a hard pill to swallow there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. My favorite is the hasten your departure. I think that's brilliant also.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> all of it goes together really nicely, but in a a tragically nice way.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: All right. So the next one we wanted to chat about is White Water.
2: This is a recent poem. Uh, I lost a colleague um, on March 7th. (laughs) Wow. And I told you I've had a fair amount of grief and loss going on. Uh, and it's a very literal poem actually she had been diagnosed with cancer about eighteen months ago and we so we all knew at some point that she probably wouldn't make it. It was very serious she'd had mm. had chemo um, but she died very suddenly um, and the whole time she was a writer and she kept coming to work. She was so engaged. She had, it was truly like she was on fire that that Mm. were, that writing stories of what was happening in our community. You know, she edited in a magazine we have called Inclusion, um, Home Design Awards, just ideas. And Mm. her daughter later even told us that when... Right before she died, she took her computer to the hospital, thinking, "Oh, well, I'll just finish this story
1: right Oh my goodness, yeah.
2: which was painful, but it also it also showed the power of of writing and how it creates meaning in people's lives, no matter what it was mm-hmm. um but her her daughter asked if we could um uh, package up a bunch of magazines, and um I'll actually be reading a poem at her service which will be later this summer Um, but that this poem was specifically thinking about this friend Beth uh, but also thinking about um, that that what if we have a diagnosis what keeps us moving or inspired as we're going through that process right Mm -hmm. wow Mm
1: -hmm. I'm also hit by one of the last lines of this one too holding these poems holding this in her hand and then reading them in the light one more time i think that bringing that into the light it's like it's lit that a piece of her is living again that's how i see it when i look at it because you know light illuminates and that um it just brought all kinds of visuals for me for that bringing to life that paper again and, and her in in the atmosphere um I don't know how you meant it to be, but that's what it was for me, and so that was a powerful image to end on again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the the contrast for me with this one is it's a little more hopeful. It's still a story of loss, but somehow there's more hope in it, and maybe that's because of the daughter at the end. Yeah. It kind of juxtaposed against the um, time to put your affairs in order, which to me is the opposite. But we can talk about that one in a minute. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Next one we could move on to is anyone could see.
2: So the person that I had in mind when I was writing this poem was my father who died many, many years ago. It's been over 20 years, Mm. but like many men, he was very stoic and um, was not going to admit to anybody that he was experiencing pain or feeling badly. And he... Just kept saying, you know, I feel fine. I feel fine. But mm-hmm. meanwhile, we were watching him, and it was very clear um, that he was not fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we were as in as much denial as he was. Uh, I think this is what I'm learning now, having experienced loss. It's it's very very hard to wrap your mind around. The, the fact that somebody is dying in front of you, even if you know it is happening and you know there will be an end, it's like, surely, surely there's time, surely there's another year. And right. um and now I've just come to know it doesn't matter how much time there is, assume there's no time. Yeah. And, and be there and be present with the people that you love.
1: So true. That's a good point. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Something to think about, very thought provoking. Okay, and then we have the last one, time to put your affairs in order.
2: So this is another fairly new poem. Um, My uncle died many years ago of pancreatic cancer. And he was told when he went to, when he got his diagnosis, you you probably have three months to live. You should go home and put your affairs in order and that phrase never left my mind yeah. it's mm-hmm. so factual and and he did <laughs> yeah die 3 months to the day i believe uh wow. and this is the same kind of cancer that my friend was just diagnosed with and mm-hmm. that that came back to me um as she had that diagnosis and this idea that being told to put your affairs in order by a doctor it makes sense. And it's probably, again, a gift that someone can say, you know, it's a, it's a way to convey something clinical with some gravitas, right? Mm-hmm. Yet, it's so clinical. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it the doctor is, cannot say, I love you. The doctor can't say, you know, this is Going to be a horrible experience for everyone who loves you and your right. family, and right. Right. <laughs> right. So I, I think that was the, some of the, the feeling, uh, behind, uh, behind that just dichotomy of the doctor and then what, what people are feeling. And I have a lot of respect for doctors, so I'm not, I'm not dissing them in this poem. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it
1: doesn't sound like you are. It's a hard position to be in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, to to tell somebody that, but it's much, much more difficult to be the one receiving the news.
2: Well, and I think the other feeling behind this poem is that it, the person who is being diagnosed is being told to put their affairs in order, but what about the people who remain? What is mm-hmm. what is our work in yeah. in putting our own affairs in order? You can't be logical <laughs> about, about There's no checklist, particularly, of how you act when you're losing somebody that, that you love. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, it does, to me, bring up a, a weakness in our system of um, end of life, how, as a society, we just don't know how to do it. <laughs> I mean, even from the doctor, not even really... I mean, that maybe that was appropriate. I, I did read this as a little bit of a slam not necessarily on the individual doctor, but on the system mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. someone's going through a, a big reveal and discovery on their part. And the best we can say is, you know, get yourself together, kind of thing instead of here's like a path to go down or like some emotional support. Anyway, I don't know. That's why this one was particularly powerful for me.
1: That's a good point.
0: I don't know, Melissa, so you're in the medical world. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um. I the the closest I've come to this is I had to tell someone that they had multiple sclerosis. We we'd gotten an MR brain MRI and mm. because he had some weakness and we you know I dealt in spine surgery that was my profession but um we got a brain MRI and he had he had lesions mm. and that I was the first one to go in and see him and and have to tell him that that's what it looked like. I mean, there, you know, where there were some other things to do, but it's tough because I became overwhelmed with sadness Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I didn't, I had to walk into the room and still be the medical professional to let him crumble and me not crumble. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, I think it's tough. And I think what you said, JW is we don't, as a culture, we don't do medicine properly um, in general. But yeah, walking in and, and having a, being able to say, hey, you're going to go through stuff. And this is, this is, these are the resources that you might use to help you. I think that would be so beneficial, but we don't have that in place, at least yeah. nowhere that I've seen. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think you're right. We don't, we don't do death well and we don't do loss well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We, we, do not do healthcare well <laughs> but, but that's a different story. that's a different so it, yeah. podcast isn't it uh, a podcast. yeah definitely but there's there's so much um there's so many things that could be tweaked and i mean i am in i, I feel like i have some oh I hit my, my microphone i'm using wild hand motions here because i'm very passionate <laughs> about it but and i it's it's hard it's hard to get it all done and do it all right but i think we have a lot of work to do in our in our society um, on all the ends so I'm not surprised that it fails there because we don't we don't treat the whole person as we should but I think this is a a place where there's a place to learn you know we can implement that change and I know you're an advocate of that of change and um, in all aspects so that's another part you know where it's when we have problems we can create solutions we just have to start
0: yeah
2: Mhm. Agreed, agreed. What I always uh talk about in terms of organizational change is uh it's always an opportunity. Right? People see change yeah. often as very negative and they run yeah. from it or they resist it, but it's inevitable. It's the mm-hmm. the life process and it's also true for organizations. So I always say things like never waste a good crisis.
0: Uh, yeah,
2: that's a I good love one. Yeah. Uh huh. And I think it. I think it's the same for life, with change. If you can, not only embrace change, but actually welcome it, then I, I think that that hastens positive transformation and growth. But it's not always easy. It's not right. always easy, right? right? Yeah. Easier right. said yeah. than done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I think I think you've said that very well, very eloquently.
0: So poetry, um, why do you write poetry versus other, or do you write other?
2: I do a variety of kinds of writing. Um, For uh, our own publications and others, I do business writing. Um, I used to do a lot of financial writing, which is not poetry at all.
0: (laughs) Maybe to those accountants, it might. Be. Uh, yeah. We
2: get uh, a little hike little accounting haiku in there. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if you threw it
0: in. There, uh, what would uh, to this
2: uh, probably blow the computer up or something. <laughs> but but now I mostly write my business writing now is focused on leadership and culture, so I do more opinion writing, and uh, that also very much centers on change, transformation finding meaning and purpose in life, inclusion. So the same kind of themes that I ultimately, I think, explore in my poetry I'm doing in a lot of my business writing. I also write a regular column for a, a publication we have called Fearless, which is, oh, I like the sound of that. yes, mm-hmm. it's for women who want to succeed in work and life, sort of a career bent, um, but a lot around women's empowerment and DEI in that one. Uh, and that process is really enjoyable, but it's very different than poetry. Um, yeah. yeah. Because it, I have a point, <laughs> right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And hopefully there's a thesis that hangs together. Whereas yeah. with poetry, there may be a point, but you're really trying not to be so obvious about it.
0: Right. You know, yes. mm-hmm. you wanted that point to be felt emotionally, I guess, maybe not. Um... On the right side of the brain, or is it the left side of the brain? I don't
2: know. Well, but not an essay format or something, yes, right? With right, yes, right. exactly, with my sources listed oh, and sure. all of those, <laughs> those That's of a thing. good one. We should.
0: I just gave you an idea for a poetry. It should be just like a poem of all sources or something. I don't know. That, could that be would be hysterical. That would be um, pretty cool, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. So okay, but DEI, actually, that is, is, er, that's a cool idea. No, don't, know, don't I'm steal it. About it. Okay. Well, okay. The the, the, universe, the three like, of us yeah. are going to
2: race yeah. for the source poem. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's a prompt. It's a prompt. I see that now. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, oh. yeah.
1: So nobody steals your idea, too. You can just cut this part out of the show. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. <laughs> so I can write it. I mean, you
1: can write it. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: So DEI, I I think I know what that means, but just for our listening audience, is that diversity?
2: Diversity, equity, equity and inclusion. Now, I think a lot of organizations use that acronym. Uh, And, you know, when I started in business, we didn't use that acronym. We didn't even really talk about it, but I'm a mixed race Latina, and so I've been very involved in either being the only female and Latina in, in the room or really trying to advocate for a culture of inclusion, both in society and at work. And now it's, you know, I'm I'm happy to see that the tide uh, and the momentum is rising in terms of uh, this really being a public conversation. We have a long, long way to go, um, but I, I certainly like writing about that in all aspects of my, my life and, and in my, my job, we also do um, products around inclusion. So it's, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so important. I, my characters are all mixed race as well. Um, and so that's, that's important to me. And it's, I mean, you know, I want to say that it's timely, but, it's it's always been right mm-hmm. it's always been, been. Uh-huh. Um, but now it's just people are more aware and trying to be more um aware and inclusive at least you know we're like you said we have a long way to go mm-hmm. but how does that how is that reflected in your business writing that that seems very apparent of you know getting to a point and how you would include that in your business and that's and mm-hmm. so admirable and fantastic How does that look in your poetry or your fiction writing? How does that translate? Because it seems like kind of the business side can influence the poetic Mm -hmm. side, but maybe not quite vice versa.
2: Well, with the business writing, I can be very overt. I can call it what it is, and I can talk about the feeling that um, someone has or their policies. But in poetry, I think it's very personal um, about a feeling of belonging. And Which is not something I always have had. Uh, and so there's, in many of my poems, there's this, I think, a, a thread of searching for the pl- mm. the place I belong. Mm. I like that. And part of that is also me accepting my, myself as well as the world accepting me and understanding yeah. my own identity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Of especially since I'm mixed, you know, which community do I belong in, and why, and do I choose? How much do I push myself into one or the other? It's interesting, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't. I mean, I've written some poems that are like really overt, like fake Latina kind of thing, but (laughs) uh but others, I think it's a much more subtle uh, undercurrent of just that that. search. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I
1: I want to read those because I think that this is there are so many people that don't feel included, you know, or they feel isolated as as racial groups. Mm-hmm. But as I I'm mixed as well, and so it is when you are not in one group or another, and I think a lot of people should know this. You do feel in the middle. You you don't know where you belong, and I don't think everybody understands that when they're fully one race or fully another, even though if it's an oppressed race they're they're fully that race. Um when you're in the middle, nobody knows what to do with you, and that makes you feel really isolated. And that's in within my books because it's in my past and in my history as well. So, I love that and I love that you are speaking about that because I think that's part of it as well for everybody to know different sides of who's in one group or another, but also who's in the middle. It's it's fascinating. So, I'm really I want to read your poetry of what that looks like within poetry. It sounds Sounds yeah, fantastic. I, I agree.
2: Well, mm-hmm. I will. I will send some in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, even
1: better. <laughs> because this, the, we, we talked a lot of your platform is this, but your stories, the the poetry that we're seeing now, is more about loss and death, and um, is a little different. So, yeah, we need to see some of that, some of that other poetry also.
2: <laughs> it's a deal. Okay.
1: So, mm-hmm. excellent. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, so, what is your writing process? Do you uh, have an approach that you take when you get into it? Or are you like, how do you get into that space?
2: Mm-hmm. I don't because I have a I'm running a company, and i'm do I do a lot of community work. so I don't have a huge amount of free time where I just have these okay. huge blocks. So my writing tends to be, catch as catch can i write a yeah. lot at night i write a lot on weekends don't tell anybody what i sometimes write during boring meetings
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, i love that uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you're the ceo i think you're allowed right, exactly. oh they know that
2: i actually have told no, yeah. i've told them that someone asked yeah. me one time when do you write and i'm like well if, you, if things <laughs> are dragging on i'm writing a, yeah uh uh-huh. um but some some of that will just be um where a line will happen or a, th- a, a thought will come to me and I'll jot something down. So I'm not necessarily really writing the whole poem. Right, right. Um, yeah. And then I do a lot of writing, meaning thinking um, I walk a lot. I walk almost an hour a day and um, those things are coming to me or if I'm driving, uh, cause I have a bit of a commute, you know, I'll just sometimes see something and it, sparks it sparks yeah. up but the actual writing is usually pretty late at night um or on the weekends when i have a little time and then it, you know revising and revising
1: mm-hmm. yeah wow do you make an effort to do it every day
2: lately um about 2 years ago i i had been writing poetry my whole life and just putting it in a drawer. So I'm really new to publishing my own poetry. But I said, okay, it's time. This is ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, uh, it's important to me. So I'm much more disciplined about it now. Um, if I don't write every day, I'm probably writing five days a week.
0: Oh, that's a good... I mean, if a... maybe
2: it's 20 minutes, right? Right, right. hmm Mm-hmm. have you
0: ever pulled out any of those old poems and kind of been like this Is this good enough to rework or as
2: is oh yes i actually i have been actively doing that where yeah. um i'm going back and some of it are like oh seriously that is right. so yes. bad what was I- a <laughs> that's everybody oh yeah. po- college angst you know but yeah. but then yeah. there's and then there's other things where I was like, good heavens, that's that's a good line, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was deep back I was deep. Yeah, <laughs> you're, 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 at it, you're like, I can't believe I wrote that. Yes, I feel that way sometimes even six months ago. Right? Yeah, uh, well, I'm
1: exactly, like, Good that's on,
2: true. Good on you, girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, what are your favorite things to read?
2: Well, I read all kinds of um, books and poetry. I read a ton of uh, nonfiction because I still like business. Yeah. I like business stuff, you know. Sure. I just finished reading a book um, recently called "No Barriers" by a guy named Eric Weyenmeyer, who was the first blind man to summit all of the the seven summits. The peaks? Wow! Yeah, and wait to, wait to to do what? He was the first man to climb. He is, uh, was the first blind man to climb each one of the seven summits. He also, oh. um, what is the word, I guess, traversed the Grand Canyon, the river in the oh. Grand Canyon. So uh, things like that, too. Um, I just finished reading Margaret Rinkle's book, Late Migrations. Have you read that? No. Phenomenal, no. Yeah. right? She's yeah. a, a writer, and it's it's kind of poetry, kind of fiction, goes back and forth. Um, I just read a, um, um, book by the po- poet laureate in Nebraska, Karen Miriam Goldberg called How Time Moves. So I'm all over the place. Um, but now I'm, tr- I'm trying to read a lot more poetry, but I really like reading, um, fiction, nonfiction. And because I'm in the magazine and publication business too, I read a lot of, Publications. I read a lot of news publications and things sure. like The Atlantic or The New Yorker essays.
0: Yeah. well, those are commitments because those articles yeah. are all long. I mean, The like Atlantic and I mean, there's, they there's are no more short
2: story in one of those. No, very <laughs> rarely, but they at least The New Yorker has cartoons too, so it breaks yeah, that's it true. up. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm.
0: uh, I usually get about a third of the way, maybe two thirds, into some of those stories. But I'm like, I think I got the gist, and I'll move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, we're coming up on time here. And so one of the questions that we always ask at the end is, you know, what's your favorite um, writing resource or advice that you would give to burgeoning writers or even, you know, professional writers uh, about the writing process?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I would say the, the advice I have for writers, and I feel a little bit... Um... I feel a little shy giving advice since I'm sort of new to publishing. But it's for poetry. I think it's the same as I would give for people who are writers um, in anything. Anything else is the most important thing is to do it and to mm-hmm. do it frequently. So practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you're writing for a deadline in a publication, you're going to get an editor and you need to you know toe the line, but if you're writing creative work practice and don't judge yourself mm. really give yourself some uh, some space to experiment uh, i would say ask for feedback a lot but then trust your own judgment right yeah. um, but then just keep going back and uh, revising and improving try really hard not to worry about what other people say um, because with with poetry I I had a good friend who's a poet give me some advice last year he said there's really no major rules for poetry if mm-hmm. unless you're doing certain kinds he said so right. so you can you can it's your poem mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. right yeah. and he said so do what you like and then go back and ask yourself how you feel about it so i would say to to folks mostly Sit down in the chair, pen in hand, mouse in hand, whatever it is, uh, and and just keep writing. Uh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think you're a testament because you're a very busy woman, and yet you're still making time, even if it's a little bit, for your craft. Mm-hmm. And and you're you're happy, you're successful at it because you know you're published now yes. in, in Onyx. So <laughs> I mean that that is um that's a testament to to your piece of advice, that it works.
2: Well, I so appreciate your, uh, you're actually featuring my poems, and for, for the reinforcement, it that I think is also hugely important to people, is to get it out there, and then see what kind of difference it makes to somebody yeah. who's reading it. That's, yeah. that's a lot of where the joy is.
0: And the joy yeah. is in the sharing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You write it in solitude, and you put it out there for the world to do what they want, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Susanna, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun having you on. And we're so thankful you submitted your poetry to us. And we're really excited that we got an opportunity to read it and get it out there for other folks to hear it.
1: Yeah. You really are an inspiration. So we really thank you for submitting and being a part of the show.
2: Well, thank you. And thank you for everything you do. I know running a literary magazine is a lot of work and probably a labor of love, so (laughs) (laughs) keep doing it. It really does make a difference.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please do us a huge favor and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to tell your writer friends. Ratings and word of mouth are our best tools for expanding the reach of the magazine and podcast. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J. W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available at onyxpublications.com. That's O N Y X Publications.com. If you're feeling extra generous, you can support us at patreon.com/onyxpublications or buymeacoffee.com/onyxpublication with no s. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poems for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, Keep reading and writing.